Today we discuss Dick, Richard Speck that is. We'll start with his childhood, where circumstances led to him moving around constantly, always living in impoverished neighborhoods. We'll talk about his alcoholism, his numerous arrests, and his escalation in violent crimes. And finally, the events of July 13th, 1966, that led to the brutal murders of eight student nurses. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought the biggest massacre in Chicago history had something to do with St. Valentine, stick around. Capone's got nothing on this maniac. This is Necronomapod. Horrified the entire city, resulting in one of the largest manhunts in the city of Chicago. For two days, the suspect, later identified as Richard Speck, eluded police by holding up in a seedy West Madison flophouse. Fearing that capture was imminent, Speck slashed his wrist and arm, allegedly attempting suicide. Police later discovered blood-stained papers and clothes in room 584 of the Star Hotel. Speck was taken to Cook County Hospital where an alert doctor noticed the tattoo emblazoned on his arm that read, Born to Raise Hell, a tattoo which had been described earlier to police by the only surviving nurse, Corazon Amaral. The morning after the murders, Amaral was able to tell police what the world would soon know. One beer, two beers, three beers. You've been busting your ass over there trying to get that keg uh, set up. I think we're good now. The keg was empty, replaced the keg, then the CO2 tank was empty, just replaced that. I think we're good. We are fresh now on both. All full up and ready to party. All right. We didn't have it last week. Our our pal Dean, uh, our keg guy, let us down last week, and we had to actually open... Cans beers, of beer. yeah. cans of beers manually. Well, uh, our hired help opened them for us and then passed them. <laughs> we don't open our own beers. So we almost had to cancel the show last week. I, I didn't know what we were going to do. Yeah, we had a scramble. And what did we end up running down to my house? No, we didn't have to do that, right? Just, no, Crown. We did. That's what we did. We went to Crown, and we, I think you had some uh, leftover beers. Mm-hmm. Homeless beers up in your fridge. So we made it through. But uh, thanks, Dean, for hooking us up this week. Yeah. We're all set it. now. Full, ready to go. And as you said, talk about some dick. Yeah. Well, who doesn't love dick? Well, I do. I don't love this dick. This is a son of a bitch dick. Yeah. This is uh, like the last few people we've covered, like Danny Rowling, you know, like low key, horrible, terrible human being. And now Richard Spack, which he might be a little bit more well known, but awful he was an inspiration for some of the uh american horror story stuff oh yeah it's kind of like serial killer november right we loaded up on it on a lot of carnage this month yeah well, we wanted to put everyone in a good mood for the holidays <laughs> <laughs> get back to something a little more interesting next week so well i think it's all interesting a little more light a little lighter yeah interesting was the wrong phrasing to use yeah a little lighter lighter fare have a little more fun now that we have a full keg of beer. <laughs> have a few extra pints. A couple extra pints. Yeah. A couple extra pints never hurt anyone. Am I right? I agree. <laughs> never hurt me. <laughs> All right, Ian, what do we got? Richard Speck was born December 6th, 1941 to Benjamin and Mary Speck. And he was the seventh of their eight children. The family lived for a while in Kirkwood, Illinois, and then moved to Monsmouth, Illinois, where they settled down. His mother was very religious uh, and kept a very strict household and was especially against any and all alcohol. 
Well, that usually works out well in these kind of stories. That strict religious mother who doesn't ever lead to any violence in the future. So <laughs> I'm hoping the story is a happy outcome. So we're off to a good start, you're saying. <laughs> Solid foundation for this kid. Richard's father, on the other hand, was more easygoing. By all accounts, he was a great guy. No abuse towards his wife or kids. Worked multiple jobs to keep the family afloat. Uh, everything from a truck packer to a lumberjack. He was also one of those guys that would tell the kids on the side, like, hey, humor your mother with the religious stuff and we'll do something fun later. And he specifically made sure that he did one-on-one things with his kids. So they had a special time together. And with Richard, that was going fishing. This bizarro world. (laughs) Just a fantastic dad who's not abusing them in any way, shape, or form. Working hard to provide for his family, doing special one-on-one things. What could go wrong here, Mike? Yeah, I don't understand here. This happy and healthy life ended in 1947 when Richard was six years old. His father died suddenly from a heart attack. God damn it. Come on. Ruin the story. It started off so good. (laughs) Fucking Ian. (laughs) (laughs) Then three years later, on May 10th, 1950, his mother remarried a guy named Carl Lindbergh in Palo Pinto, Texas. These two met on a train ride to Chicago with Carl being in Illinois because he was a traveling insurance salesman. This sounded like a case of Mary struggling extremely hard to pay bills for eight kids by herself. And here's this charming guy that's willing to help and be committed. But after they were married, that charming guy drops the act and turns out to be a huge asshole. If you met a single mom with eight kids, would you date her? Yes or no? (laughs) It's a lot of kids. How hot is she? (laughs) I'm not even sure that matters. It's a lot of kids. Eight. Just a date. It's not committing yourself to raising those kids. He goes a step further than probably I'd advise. Can you imagine having eight kids? He didn't keep track of my dog. Eight kids. <laughs> like, what does your day look like if you have fucking eight kids? You always hear that in like stories from, you know, people that grew up back. Oh, uh, they were one of 12. Oh, yeah. Like, where is everyone sleeping? Insanity. Like you have nine to a bed? I don't know. People are Deep sleeping in like dresser drawers. Like you open one and get your underwear and like a kid in it. <laughs> like that Seinfeld where Kramer put the Japanese right. guys in the dresser. Yeah. And those oversized dressers. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's, that's a lot of kids. Pass. For sure. Too many. I have two kids and they're them talking <laughs> to say, each other and yelling. It's like, I, you know, right. Times that by four. Right. <laughs> that is your life then. Right. Like that is it. You just, it's all kids. You're consumed right? with every single thing they do. Or like those kooks on a TV show from Arkansas with the, what, how many kids they have? Like 20 kids. Oh yeah. Like that 20 and counting the pedo, with the pedo kid that was uh, touching his sister and just got arrested. <laughs> all the kitty porn. The Duggars, Dugger. Duggers, and then Duggars. I just saw she's like pregnant. Again, <laughs> like while he's going to court for all this, she's pregnant with their next kid. The dad's a pedophile. No, so the kid. Whoever what? is in, involved in the courts, his wife is pregnant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I would say the mom, like his mom, her uterus has to have fallen out by now, right? <laughs> so is the one, the kid, the guy who's in trouble is one of like the hundred. Yeah, yeah. Kids. One of them. Right, right. <laughs> and did all the kids having kids probably? Like, like tons like exponentially never ends, right? Yeah. Are they the still all, on TV? It's the ultimate pyramid scheme. 
just <laughs> grows and grows and gr- I don't know. They probably got canceled, right? When oh, yeah, maybe they did. Their last episode was a a mashup with Dateline NBC. <laughs> <laughs> I think the dad's running for like Senate in Arkansas or something. Of course, and he's gonna win. Yeah. Like, is that the guy, his dad, his uh, his boy was fucking them kids? That's the one I'm voting for. Keeping up the Arkansas way. That's unreal. Well, he's like, well, I didn't do it. Vote for me. It's, it's campaign slogan. I didn't do it. That was my boy. I, I, I ain't touch no kids. Vote for me. Was it, was it was it Dice, Andrew Dice Clay's? There was an old lady who lived in a shoe. She had so many kids, her uterus fell out. Oh! That's what I popped in my head from. That sounds like something he would say. Well, we're off to a good start here. Mm-hmm. So Carl had a 25-year criminal record uh, for tons of DUIs and more serious things like forgery that he had kept a secret. And he became very abusive. Instead of moving to Texas as soon as Mary remarried, Richard stayed behind with his younger sister, Carolyn, to finish second grade. And the two of them lived with their aunt. And after the school year, they were sent to Santo, Texas to rejoin their mother. And these two were very close, Richard and Carolyn. They were like a year apart. All the other kids, the siblings, were older than them like significantly older than them okay that makes sense when richard and his sister carolyn moved back in with their mother in 1951 they quickly moved from santo texas to east dallas the family moved a lot and never stayed in the same place for very long by the time richard turned 12 the family had lived in 10 different houses and always in impoverished neighborhoods throughout these years richard grew to hate carl Due to the abuse, Carl constantly being drunk or coming home late at night and drunk, ready to be verbally or physically abusive. So not great. No, but nowhere close to some of the childhoods we've talked about. You could say a lot of upstanding citizens grew up in that same environment and never had a problem. Yeah. Maybe skewed towards the norm back in those days, you might say. And I, I would say that there's millions of people that have had a really shitty stepmom or mm-hmm. stepfather come into their lives and turn out to be just fine. I think that's a fair statement. And Richard still had good relationships within his family. He was very close with his sister, Carolyn. And so it's not like Ed Kemper locked in the, <laughs> the cellar with his mom and sisters upstairs taunting him or whatever went on there. Yeah. Oh, he was a guy. They were women. Yeah. They hated him for that. They did. He showed her, though. <laughs> he who laughs, laugh. laughs. Last laughs. He who laughs, lasts. Laughs best. <laughs> I was going to try to say that, but I tongue twisted it in my head, and I'm like, nah, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I tongue twisted it for real. So. <laughs> Richard didn't do well in school, and one of his main issues was that he wouldn't wear his glasses. He got made fun of for them, and he was also extremely scared to speak in front of people. Richard had to repeat eighth grade due to refusing to speak in class. When he got to high school, Richard had already started getting drunk every day, which that started around 12 years old. He got arrested for the first time when he was 13 years old for trespassing, 
And this was followed by Richard getting arrested frequently, like nonstop getting arrested after this. You know, I also read he had an accident and fell out of a tree when he was a youngster. So maybe some potential head trauma like we hear all the time. Right. We just talk about that with Danny Rowling, right? Mm hmm. Seems to be in a lot of multiple issues. That's in a lot of those stories. We've talked about a head injury and more than. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Isn't isn't it weird that he used to make fun of kids for wearing glasses? Yeah, it's like, very what, odd. Like, what's even funny about that? It's for uh, <laughs> it's so stupid. Ooh, you got me. <laughs> I can see. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Richard didn't last long at Crozier Technical High School. He failed every class his freshman year and then dropped out right after his 16th birthday. It sounds like your freshman year of college, Mike. Pretty close. Didn't drop out. <laughs> Managed to squeak out, a, I think, a, a 1.8. So I deed my way in multiple ways through my freshman year of college. From there, he worked at the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas. And around that time, he met 15-year-old Shirley Malone. Shirley got pregnant three weeks after they started dating, and the two of them got married on January 19, 1962. Richard and Shirley moved in with Richard's sister, Carolyn, and her husband. Richard's mother was also living in the house because she had gotten divorced from Carl. Getting married and having a baby didn't stop Richard from being pretty much nonstop drunk and always in trouble. His daughter was born on July 5th, 1962, and Richard missed her birth because he was sitting in jail on a 22-day sentence for a huge bar fight. A year later, in July of 1963, Richard forged and cashed a co-worker's paycheck for $44, then robbed a grocery store for beer, cigarettes, and $3. He was sentenced to three years in prison, but was paroled for good behavior in 1965. This only lasted a week, and Richard was back in jail for aggravated assault when he attacked a woman with a 17-inch knife. It didn't seem like an attack that he was committed to, kind of like he was testing the waters of a violent crime, because when the woman screamed, Richard ran away. He was arrested not long after, a couple blocks away, and sent back to the same prison in Huntsville, Texas. Huntsville's where the execution chamber is in Texas. I feel like our death row buddy comedy could have taken place there. <laughs> Very well, could he could have met someone on their way to the death chamber and <laughs> formed a bond? And well, it was filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in Huntsville, Texas. <laughs> it's where like actual death row in Texas. I don't think it's in Huntsville, but the the electric chairs there, so they transport them. Are used to be. I don't know what's going on these days, but do they still? Does anywhere still use the electric chair? I don't think so. Electric chair is an awesome pro wrestling move, though. <laughs> Is it? The guys on your shoulders, and then you drop them back. Uh, uh, okay. Sometimes they use it to like do the, like the front roll up, like how Owen beat Brett at yeah. WrestleMania ten. So anyone who wanted to know that, <laughs> I didn't know that. Hello, hello. Is anyone still there? Hello. <laughs> well, hello. We, we can talk about murdering people, or we can talk about uh, pro wrestling moves and classic finishes from WrestleMania. <laughs> Pick people, you tell us. Also, who needs a 17-inch knife? Like, what are you going to do with that thing? That's like our friend, uh, what's his name from Down Under? That's a knife. This is a knife. 17-inch knife? You know, you can do just as much with a smaller knife, and it's much easier to conceal. Yeah, like, what are you doing with that thing? 
Yeah, when I was when I was reading that, I'm like, we're talking about like a fucking machete or a sword. At, like, what, it's point it, at what point does it become a sword? Like, <laughs> right. Right, that's a sword. I'm sorry. I know people are going to get honest about the differences. Uh, it is. What oh, it you is. guys don't know anything about knives. Uh, like eight inches and below is a, a dagger, saying. maybe. It's a funny joke. Seventeen inches. Okay, now it's a knife. <laughs> Or, I'm sorry, now it's a sword. Because you're fucking idiots, clearly yeah. machete. 17 inches is the BBC of knives. <laughs> we, would be, we, would, we, would, we would be a formidable seven inch knife. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that knife. It still gets a job done, I guess. Some people just prefer the 17 inch. <laughs> I believe they're called size queens. <laughs> I believe you're right. <laughs> Ooh, that or, went way sideways. Or kings. <laughs> or kings. I don't know. I don't know. Due to a paperwork error, Richard only served six months of that sentence and was paroled on July 2nd, 1965. After he was released, Richard got a job as a truck driver for the Patterson Meat Company. He wrecked the truck six times and then just straight up stopped coming to work for, for about a week and he was fired. What kind of job keeps you for six times after wrecking the truck? Yeah. Like, six times? Like once an accident. Two, okay, maybe. Depends on the circumstances. Three, you're gone. Like, bye. <laughs> six times and just no sh- not showing up. Yeah, he's like, oh, boss, you're never going to guess what happened again. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. <laughs> Towards the end of 1965 in December, Richard moved in with a 29-year-old woman who had recently been divorced. This woman was a bartender at a bar that Richard was a regular at, and she was also an ex-professional wrestler. This is Mike's dream girl we're talking about here. <laughs> I tried really, really hard. Be a pro wrestler. <laughs> I tried really hard to find this woman's name, and I could not find it. I looked it up too, all over the place, and it literally was like just kind of the exact same thing. Mm. You moved in with an ex-pro wrestler. I'm wondering if it was just like a small time. Like she did like the carnival circuit or something and yeah, or just, you know, whatever did bars and stuff. And it wasn't Mount Fuji. Wasn't a uh, big name. No, I think this was, this was pre Mount Fuji. I think. <laughs> yeah. What was, uh, women's wrestling like in 1965? Well, you still had what fabulous Moolah and may young running around. Fabulous Moolah, I think they were yeah. kicking ass back then. Okay. I think so. I'm not, my, my wrestling history doesn't quite go back that far, but I think so. Yeah. And that's when they were like, uh, there's a whole all kinds of controversy surrounding what they used to allegedly do, but or oh, Moolah, yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. There's one about Moolah, right? Yeah, yeah. That gets a little dark. Like it gets real dark. Prostituting the women out, maybe. Or, oh my god. She would also like when you signed up, like to train with her. Any like work she got you, like moving forward, or any work you got, you owed her like a cut of it. Yeah. Like she kind of just owned your career. Yeah, fabulous Moolah was not great. Mm. The WWE, I believe, tried running a... There's a lot of wrestling talk. But Ian brought this one up. <laughs> uh, they tried running, I think, like a like a fabulous Moolah tournament or Battle Royal. And then, like, there was all this uproar about how, like, you can't do that. Fabulous Moolah's canceled. Like, no, no, no. Wow. So they, they changed the name and didn't use her name. I think it was for, like, a WrestleMania. Because they have the Andre the Giant Battle yeah. Royal. I think they were going to do, like, a Moolah one. And then it got... They, they just switched it. Because mm. they do... Mae Young, I think, is okay. Uh, like there was no controversy with her other Not than like, 
they just said she was like, cause she wrestled into the nineties in WWE she was like 70, 80 <laughs> I years remember, old. Yeah. And, uh, it was a funny <laughs> story once about, you know, she used to have to, she gave the, uh, Bronco buster to Eric Bischoff. <laughs> and that's essentially what you like, you know, you thrust your pelvis in the guy's face. They had her put sardines in her tights, in her crotch <laughs> before she went out and did the Bronco buster on his face. That's ridiculous. She loved it Cause she's like one of the boys. Well, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I would not fuck with Mae Young. She'd beat the shit out of all three of us. I'm quite confident. When she was alive. I feel like Stone Cold gave a stunner to one of them. I probably think both. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like but I remember Mola yeah. getting, getting a stunner at one point. Yeah. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley did a power bomb, I think, off the rope. <laughs> Mae Young threw a table. Yeah. <laughs> Those two were fucking wild in the 90s. Yeah. Crazy. Hello. Hello. Anyone there? I do not believe either of them were the ones who dated Richard Speck. He would have pulled out that 17 inch knife and they would have turned it around on him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Richard and Shirley had been separated this whole time and they were officially divorced in January of 1966. People in Richard's life said that the divorce triggered something in him. Like, even though this was all his fault, he blamed Shirley the same month as per usual, Richard was drinking at Jenny's lounge and got into a fight. During the fight, Richard stabbed the guy and was arrested. His mother hired a defense lawyer and the charge was reduced to disturbing the peace, resulting in a $10 fine. <laughs> and disturbing a piece of my liver with a 17 inch <laughs> knife. That's some uh, reduction in, in charge, huh? Richard failed to pay that $10 fine and he was sent to jail for three days. You get it reduced like that. And then you just and you're just not even going to pay it. Like, man, take what you <laughs> right. can get, pay that fine and move on. Like, this is attempted murder charge, right? You got disturbing the peace. $10 fine. Mm. Can't do it. Then on March 5th, 1966, Richard robbed a grocery store and stole 70 cartons of cigarettes. Richard had bought an old used car and started selling the cigarettes out of his trunk, which the police easily traced the used car to Richard and caught word of the cigarettes being sold. A warrant was put out for his arrest, which would have been Richard's 42nd arrest. But his sister Carolyn drove him to a bus station, and then from there, Richard traveled to Chicago. It's like the kid, Henry Hill and Goodfellow, selling the smokes out of the trunk. That's the what cop I thought of. That's yeah, fine. It's fine. <laughs> that guy, the kid, he broke his cherry. <laughs> That's right. They had the big celebration That's when he right. comes out of court. Yeah. <laughs> also, we see the, the trend of these guys being bad criminals continuing because he is not very good at this. No. There's been a lot of similarities not between him all. and Danny Rowling in the first. Uh, yeah, really bad thieves. Pages. And then 42 times. It's got to be some kind of record. <laughs> Not good at this trade that they're trying to apply. Switch your, switch your something. Yeah, find a new hobby. Yeah. Crime is not for you. Richard stayed with his sister Martha and her family in Chicago for a few days, then went back to his hometown of Monmouth, where he stayed with some old family friends. Richard's brother, Howard, was a carpenter in Monmouth and found a job for him sanding for another Monmouth carpenter. You know who else was a carpenter? Who's that? Harrison Ford before he got the Star Wars job. You thought I was going to say Jesus. <laughs> I did. I'll be honest, I don't know where you were going to go with that one. I thought it was going to be Jesus for sure. I mean, Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, the first cuck, was also a carpenter, but... 
Was Harrison Ford actually a carpenter? Yeah, until he got the Han Solo gig. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. I guess at that he was point. a set carpenter. I'd hang up the tool belt at that point, too. Yeah, right. Fucking Han Solo. Getting that Star Wars money the rest anymore. of your life. You literally didn't have to make another movie again. Yeah. You're making out with Princess Leia. Have to play with wood anymore? We've been she can <laughs> play with your wood now. <laughs> Way too much Star Wars talk. <laughs> Around this time, Richard found out that his ex-wife Shirley got remarried two days after their divorce was finalized. Richard had already held this irrational uh, grudge against Shirley over the divorce, but this news sent him over. At that point, he moved into the Christie Hotel in downtown Monmouth on March 25th and started spending all of his time at bars. On April 3rd, 1966, Richard broke into the home of 65-year-old Virgil Harris. Virgil was out babysitting for the night, but when she got home around 1 a.m., she found Richard holding a knife and going through her things. Holding the knife to Virgil, Richard blindfolded her, tied her up, raped her, and then stole any valuables he could find. Virgil later told the police that the man was, quote, very polite and spoke very softly with a southern drawl. <laughs> Ma'am, I apologize, but I reckon I'm going to have to rape you. It's another Danny Rowling thing. <laughs> he apologized every time he was robbing yeah. somebody. It's nothing but nice and saying, I'm sorry. A week later, 32-year-old Mary Pierce, a bartender who worked at her brother-in-law's bar, Frank's Place, in downtown Monsmouth, was last seen leaving the bar at 12.20 a.m. on April 9, 1966. She was reported missing on April 13th, and her body was found that same day in an empty pig house behind the bar. Mary had died from being hit in the stomach so hard that it ruptured her liver. Is pig house like a literal meaning? Like they actually keep pigs there? Yeah. I didn't know how else to write a like a pig pen maybe, but I don't know if a pen has a roof. I don't know how all that works. Mm. So it's like an enclosed? Yeah. Huh. Just like in the middle of the town? It seems like a pretty small place. Yeah. Still. It's like in the middle of Chicago, you know? Mm. A pig house. Yeah, it's a pig house. Wondering what happens at the bar. Like if you don't, you know, find that hookup at last call, you're like, hmm. <laughs> Squeal. It's, it's, it's right there. And I'm not saying I would ever do that, but I've never had to worry about finding a hookup at last call. Of course not. Not with that 17-inch uh, oh, well. monster. Oh, I wish. Squeal. Is that from the movie? Deliverance. Deliverance, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's such an upsetting noise in general. It's like a pig squeal. It's just, oh, I wish I would have pulled that clip. Let's <laughs> oh, just go to show that we don't rehearse any of this. No. This is all on the seat of our pants because otherwise Dave would have had that ready to go. But guess what he's going to have for next week? Right. If only this was a two-parter, he would have yeah, had that's it. Right. Ah! <laughs> uh, poor Ned Beatty. <laughs> So Frank's place was one of the bars that Richard went to all the time. And the empty pig house behind the bar was one of the projects that he helped build the month before. So Monmouth police questioned him about Mary's death. They didn't have anything at the time, but they asked him to stay in town for further questioning. When police showed up at the Christie Hotel on April 19th to talk to Richard, they found out that he left the hotel a few hours earlier 
carrying his suitcase and Richard had skipped town, which that's the most nonsense thing. I think I one of the most nonsensical things I've read about true crime so far that they're just like, stay around. We want to, yeah, we we'll, get, we'll get to you one of these days. Yeah. Just please, please stay around. We're going to question you about this, uh, murder, this death of a woman. This ridiculous is BTK saying, well, you can't trace it back. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of different varying accounts of this too. Cause one of the accounts I read said that they were talking to him and he faked being sick and they let him go. Okay. Come back, which is That's also a- very strange. Yeah. But I guess if he's not like an actual like suspect yet, just just in for questioning, maybe you're more likely to be like, all right, we'll just get him, you know, the next time. I mean, I the guess. guy's been arrested 109 times. He'll come around again. <laughs> I mean, career criminals like that should go to the top of your list. You would think so. I know. But like, well, but just did not like, think that he wouldn't skip town. Last week, Rowling had all that. Right. I don't keep going back to Rowling, but like he was never like a violent crime guy. He was like, oh, the guy who's going to hold you up for what? Was it like two dollars at a store? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. I don't know. Mikey's rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> right on back to the episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, like in, in three weeks, you'll ask me something about him, and I won't even remember who that person is. Like, uh, who? What? Did we cover him? No, I heard that guy. <laughs> a search of his room turned up a radio and jewelry belonging to Virgil Harris, as well as items reported missing in two other local burglaries the previous month. That same day, Richard showed back up at his sister Martha's apartment, where he was welcomed to stay with her family. Martha's husband, Gene, served in the Navy, and now he was a railroad operator. He figured that he could get Richard work as a U.S. merchant marine. Gene got him in, and as soon as Richard received his letter of authority, he found work on the crew of Inland Steel's or Lake Freighter. About a month into his work on the ship, Richard came down with appendicitis and had to be rushed to the hospital to have an emergency appendectomy. On May 20th, 1966, he rejoined the crew of the ore ship where he served until June 14th when he got drunk and fought with one of the boat's officers. That's smart. Richard then traveled by train to Michigan to visit a friend named Judy, who was a 28-year-old nurse going through a divorce, and he had become friends with her while he was in the hospital. On June 27th, after Judy gave him $80 to help find work, Richard took off to stay with his sister Martha and her family in Chicago for the next two weeks. On July 8, 1966, Gene drove Richard to a hiring hall to pick up his seaman's card and register for work on another ship. Mike used to pass out his <laughs> seaman card all the time. Good for five free ropes. Since I was eight years old. Eight years old. <laughs> what they don't know is those that those five ropes. That's that's one sitting. <laughs> they think they're coming Obviously. back. They think they're coming back for five. You know, five. Uh, Five trips, but uh, not so much. Five trips. (laughs) Richard didn't get the job he applied for, and by July 11th, he had outstayed his welcome with his sister Martha and her family. After packing his bags and again being driven by Gene to the hiring hall to wait for an opportunity on another ship, Richard stayed the night at Pauline's rooming house, about one mile away from the hiring hall. The next day, Richard went back to the hiring hall. In mid-afternoon, he received an assignment on Sinclair Oil's tanker, which was docked 30 minutes away in East Chicago. 
When he got there, Richard found that his spot had already been taken and he was driven back to the hiring hall, which by that time was closed. He didn't have enough money for a rooming house, so he dropped his bags off six blocks east at a Shell gas station and slept in a half-built house just off of East 103rd Street. Just like an empty lot? or It seemed like it was like a house that was starting to be built, like maybe mm. just the... The, the frame. frameworks there. Yeah. Wonder why he didn't why he dropped his bags at the gas station. Yeah. Why not just keep them with you? Yeah. What's going on with this guy? He's on a collision course towards uh, nothing good here. I could see being pissed off that day. You're like getting shuffled around. You get sent out there. There's no job. Oh yeah. I could see your blood boiling here. Keep your bags with you though, right? Yeah, you might need them, right? It's weird. Maybe you had a friend at the gas station. I don't know, at the very least, I think you could take the bags to that half house and like lay on them. It's a little comf- more comfortable in the ground. Use them as a pillow. I agree. I don't know. Or if you just said, fuck it. I don't feel like carrying them. It could be that too. Just yeah. like a place to leave them like a, like a home base and then roam around. I feel like we're focusing on a very insignificant point of this story. Yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> True. Seems odd. Seems odd. The next day on July 13th, Richard picked up his bags and checked in at the hiring hall. He was super angry after being sent to a non-existent assignment, and he talked for 30 minutes in the car with his sister Martha and her husband Gene. Martha and Gene felt bad and gave Richard $25. He was tired of waiting for a job at the hall, so using that $25, Richard checked in at the Shipyard Inn at East 101st Street. Richard spent the rest of the day drinking in nearby bars before he attacked 53-year-old Ella Hooper at knife point. Richard took her to his room at the shipyard inn, raped her, and stole her 22 pistol that she had on her. He then casually went to eat dinner and went back to drink at the shipyard inn's bar where he had met Ella, and he stayed there until 10.20 p.m., which that is bold as fuck to do all that and then just go back to the bar Yeah, right. and stay. Who does that? Because she could have, you know. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, what did she do after that? It sounded like a case of being ashamed or embarrassed to yeah. report it. She just ran off. and Yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, if there wasn't a stigma like that, that could have been, the story could have never happened. Yeah, that's it. Picked him up. At that point, Richard went out for the night dressed in all black armed with a switchblade and ellis 22. he then walked west on east 100th street to the nurse's townhouse at 2319 east 100th street is there something interfering with your happiness something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals let's face it these are certainly trying times from being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun... You can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. 
BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. At 11 p.m. on July 13, 1966, Richard Speck broke into the townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street. That was a dorm for nurses. The nurses living in the townhouse were Gloria Davy, Patricia Matusek, Nina Jo Schmale, Pamela Wilkening, Suzanne Ferris, Marianne Jordan, Marlita Gargulo, Valentina Passan, and Corazon Amaro. Richard held the women in a room for hours as they tried to talk him down, and one by one, he led them out of the room in intervals of 20 to 30 minutes. Each time, he stabbed or strangled his victim to death, and he raped his final victim, Gloria Davy, before killing her. During this long night of murder and trying to talk Richard down, Corzon Amaro crawled under her bed and hid while Richard was out of the room, and Corzon survived. So what we're going to get into is her recollection, how she recalled that night. Corzon heard four knocks on the door. Opening it, she saw Richard, dressed in black, standing in the doorway with a pistol in his hand. Richard grabbed her arm and pushed her back, asking where everyone else was. At that time, Merlita had gotten out of bed, and Richard walked both women down the hall to a large bedroom in the back. Turning on the light, he saw three women sleeping. At that point, Corazon, Merlita, and Valentina ran and hid in a closet. When one of the women knocked on the closet door and assured her roommates Richard would not harm them, they came out. Richard pointed the gun at Nina and Patricia while holding Pamela around the waist. He switched off the light and made the women sit in a semicircle with their backs to the window. Richard sat facing them and smiling. He said, quote, I want some money. I'm going to New Orleans. Each of the women asked permission to get their purses and gave Richard all of their money. After a while, Gloria Davy came home from a date with her boyfriend. She walked up the stairs and she was somewhat drunk and opened the door to the bedroom. She screamed when she saw Richard with a gun, at which point Richard forced Gloria to join the circle. Then he got up, tore a sheet from one of the bunk beds, and began cutting them into strips. One by one, he tied each of the woman's hands and feet. 
two other nurses, Marianne and Suzanne, arrived home from a night out, and they opened the door to the back bedroom to find Richard standing over Pamela while she was tied up. They ran down the hall right into the master bedroom and screamed when they saw all of the other uh, women tied up. Richard ran after them and pushed Marianne and Suzanne into another bedroom. He stabbed and strangled the two women as they fought back. Then he washed up and returned to Pamela to kill her with one stab to her heart. Then he washed himself off again. In the bedroom, the girls tried to squeeze themselves under the narrow bunk beds. Richard untied Nina's feet, led her down the hall to a bedroom, stabbed her in her neck, and suffocated her with a pillow. Corazon heard her say, quote, ah, and then the sound of water. At that point, Corazon managed to get under the bed. Okay, at this point, this is absolutely terrifying. It's impressive that Corazon was able to get under the bed and just to get herself out of sight and hide. Yeah. And then to have to sit there and hear everything going on would be absolutely just horrendous. And Yeah, I mean, I think in a situation like that, you have to assume the worst and like the group has to attack right that's what it, yeah that's you what have to make that assumption in that scenario i mean yeah not that you fault anyone because like you said who knows how you're going to act in that situation right because you jump up and attack no one else does like it's just right then you're the first a, one to die yeah it's a hard situation it's an unimaginable situation richard appeared again and took valentina he put her over his shoulder and walked out of the room Corazon again heard, quote, ah, and water. Richard returned from Merlita, lifting her and carrying her off. About five minutes passed, and Corazon heard her say, quote, it hurts. Another 30 minutes passed, and the water sounds before he took Patricia. Corazon heard Richard ask, quote, are you the girl in the yellow dress? He led Patricia to the bathroom, punched her in her stomach, rupturing her liver, and then strangled her. Richard came back into the room and raped Gloria. Corazon watched, then closed her eyes and prayed. When she opened them again, Richard and Gloria were gone. Corazon decided to switch beds. She rolled and scooted her way across the bedroom floor. She made it under that bed and wedged herself in as tight against the wall as possible then laid there until about 6 a.m. That is a long fucking night, man. Holy shit. Judy Dykton was a nursing student who lived across the street from the townhouse. And because it was hot outside, she had her window open with a fan going. She turned off her fan so it could be quieter to study. And she heard a sound that she thought was an animal. So she ignored it and went downstairs to throw a load of laundry in before studying. When she went back upstairs, she heard the sound again and looked out her window to see Corazon crouched on the window ledge, crying and under her breath saying, quote, they're all dead. Judy Corazon was on Judy's window ledge or she was on Corazon was on her own home's window ledge and she like heard and saw her across the street. She heard and saw her across the street. Corazon was on her own. Gotcha. Ledge. Judy ran over and went inside the townhouse and immediately found Gloria Davy dead. Judy then ran to the townhouse occupied by the house mother in charge of the nursing students. The house mother contacted the police while Corazon jumped from the balcony of the townhouse, fearing that Richard might still be inside. 
Fuck yeah, I would too. And the, the the crying and stuff, like it wasn't loud. It was like this, like under her breath, whimpering. And yeah, probably the first time she was able to do that because she had to be silent under the bed. Oh. She gets out onto the ledge. She you know breaks down a little bit, and you know, and after that, that's what night, Judy hears, probably out of her mind. Yeah. Oh. When police arrived, Richard was gone, and they first saw Gloria Davy nude, belly down on the couch a strip of sheet tied with double knots. They noticed what appeared to be semen between her buttocks and buttons from her blouse were strewn all over the stairs. Like he ripped her, her, uh, her blouse as he was Mm. carrying her down the stairs in an upstairs bedroom. They found the body of Pamela Wilkening gagged and stabbed through the heart near her. Suzanne Ferris was lying face down in a pool of blood with a white nurse's stocking tied around her neck and stabbed 18 times to her chest and neck area. Next, Marianne Jordan was laying on her back, stabbed three times in the chest, one in the neck, an eye. And that eye one was like a defensive, trying to get away and accidentally stabbed in the right. eye. Mm. When he moved on to the Northwest bedroom where he found Nina Schmale, her nightgown pulled up to her breast and the same strips of sheet tied around her neck pulled so hard that her neck was broken. Oof. Next, they found Valentina passion face down with her throat cut to her spine and near her Merlita Gargolo was face up stabbed and strangled as police walked through the hallway upstairs. The legs of Patricia Matusek were sticking out from the bathroom on her back hands bound behind her strangled with a piece of bed sheet her nightgown rolled up over her breast and there were bloody towels all over the bathroom to kind of put it in perspective as to how bad richard had beaten these women in the process of murdering them josephine chan director of nursing was brought to the townhouse to id the victims but could only recognize three of them gloria patricia and pamela gotta be quite an awful scene i've i don't even know what to say about this i mean just a, a hatred of women i guess yeah there's a lot of that going on a lot to to display this level of violence presumably he murdered the woman in the pig house like the pig pen area going from one a single murder to a night like this is crazy escalation yeah and he'll claim later that he was drunk and doesn't remember any of it, but I'm not sure I'm buying that at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's just off the chart uh, level of violence here. All in one night, too. It's just boom, yeah. Because he's not even a serial killer. Mm-mm. He's a spree, spree killer. Spree killer, yeah. yeah. Right. He's probably the most one of the most notable ones. Does it have to be separate days to be a serial killer? Yeah. Like just all in one night. They're just, you know, obviously that's not, but there's a criteria for how many days yeah. in between i don't know like i'm honestly at a loss of words for this one not this doesn't happen but it's just really it's such a crazy story i mean it's, it's just not, i don't know what to say like what do you yeah, say what, i have no <laughs> words i mean it's yeah. probably the first kind of event or i don't know mass murder of its kind like this and in, in the modern day right i can't think of anything else like this right no I mean, it's huge news all across the country and you know, it was a big deal 
I, I mean, it's really similar to Ted Bundy's last. Right. One right. His, right. You know, he just Bundy, you know, at that point he knew he was going to be caught. So he just went in all in. Yeah. We covered that uh, Patreon episode earlier this year. We did. A very thorough and detailed episode. Yeah, I think it was like a five-hour episode, I want to say. I think it was on... Uh, Check it out. April 1st of this year. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, personally. I think it was voted by the three of us as our best show ever. <laughs> it was definitely up there. <laughs> because Richard had been arrested so many times throughout his life, his fingerprints were in multiple police systems. Police found his prints all over the crime scene, and a sketch was put out that police wanted Richard Speck, along with an identifying tattoo that said "Born to Raise Hell" on his forearm. Just a pretty Not good the identifying. Most inconspicuous of uh, <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> when we get to that 500th episode, maybe we can make Mike get the Richard Speck tattoo on his forearm. <laughs> yeah, hey, we'll add that to the list of possible options. <laughs> <laughs> We'll make him do a weed and we'll do the tattoo <laughs> while he's under the influence of the weed. Make me do a weed. Hold me down. Force weed into me. <laughs> Chew up this weed. <laughs> You're going to get a high. <laughs> Two days after the murders, Richard was drinking in the fire escape of the Star Hotel with a drifter named Claude Lunsford. Around 9.30 p.m., Lunsford took Richard back to his room where Lunsford then recognized Richard from the sketch he had seen. Claude almost immediately called the police. However, they did not respond to the call, even though their records show that the call had been made. So there's no dispute that the police uh, didn't take Claude serious. Look, Ian, police are busy sometimes. They don't always have the time or the resources to follow up on every lead. I think we should cut the police some slack in this situation. Okay. <laughs> And never mind the fact that uh, Dick was a drifter and hung out around these parts and was in and out of different <laughs> lodging houses. But he could never be around uh, old Claude Lunsford. You mean the tip was pretty solid and maybe something that would have uh, called for immediate reaction? Looking back upon the story, <laughs> I feel as if the police should have followed up on this tip. Okay, well... Hindsight being 2020, Mike, I don't know that you could possibly make that call at that time. I don't know. Maybe they were getting too many tips at that point. Yeah, you know, and the, the one thing about that, too, is I don't know what type of record Claude had. You know, he could have had a reputation with the police. I was going to say that and then didn't. But like, you know, was he like a, a caller, like a cop caller all the time? Like just wanting to get in their good graces Were they just like, oh, he's the town drunk. He, you know, he doesn't ever tell the truth about anything because claude didn't even know who he was drinking with on the fire escape mm. like him and richard speck were not friends that hung out or even really knew each other they were just randomly on this fire escape drinking and then claude's like oh yeah you can come back to my room and he's like oh shit you're the fucking guy on the yeah. oh shit i should have invited him back to my room <laughs> yeah. well a couple drunks that i think they said i watched that a e biography like a 90 cent a day hotel so yeah you know skid row well, back at that time period, though, that would be like, what a best Western today. Red Roof Inn? Eh, maybe. <laughs> well, I put best Westerns above Red Roof Inn. Well, yeah, obviously. What do we say? Any any hotel you can access directly your room from the parking lot? Motel. Maybe a two-star at best. Yes. Yeah. 
But like some of them, like, you know, they want to be in like Red Roof Inn will never identify as a motel. There's a stigma that comes around, I think, with that term motel. Well, they're clearly a motel, though. Hey, but they identify <laughs> as in. Isn't that what Robert Bigelow owns from Skinwalker Ranch? Well, that sounds right. What does he own? He owns one of those hotels like or Red motel. Roof I think it's Red Roof Inn. That sounds right. Yeah. I said at Red Roof Inn, I know one time in New Jersey. I think that's the only time I ever did. Luckily, it was upstairs. So it wasn't like right off the parking lot, but, it, you know, it's still a motel. It's not my favorite. No. That's where he made all his money and then he put it all into UFOs. And I mean, for being motels or inns like that, Red Roof Inn's not awful as opposed to like some of those roadside motels and stuff. Like I stayed, I think I've told the story. I stayed in a, a motel once where there was um, bullet holes in the door and there was cigarette <laughs> hole burns in the sheets, in the literal sheets, which were like sandpaper anyway. So I wasn't touching those. Um, they have one ply toilet paper yeah. in that joint. Yeah. I think I had to bring my own. I had to bring my own. You know, that's one of those days where you go to Chipotle and you grab the entire thing of napkins and take them back. With you just <laughs> It's crazy how standards change as you get older. Like, oh yeah, I, I like stayed in that place and was like, okay, this is where I'm going to sleep tonight. I would have slept in my car now if that <laughs> if it was one of the other options. Later that night, Richard attempted suicide, and the Star Hotel desk clerk called nine one one around midnight. Richard was taken to Cook County Hospital at twelve thirty a.m. on July seventeenth. At the hospital, Richard was recognized by Dr. Leroy Smith, a 25-year-old surgical physician who had read about the Born to Raise Hell tattoo in a newspaper story. So as soon as he saw the tattoo, he called police and Richard was arrested. There's a creepy video of when they went to get him of him just laying in a hotel, in a hotel in the hospital room. Just fucking dead eye, blank stare. Super They creepy. were recording it? Yeah. Like the police were? Yeah. Or reporters that, let, or the judge, they let the prosecutor yeah, in, but yeah, a couple of people in. That's uncommon, right? Like that's, yeah. that seems bizarre. Very strange. Super creepy. Richard was seen by three doctors picked by the defense and three doctors picked by the prosecution. This group consisted of five psychiatrists and one general doctor. These doctors all found that Richard had not been insane at the time of the murders, meaning that he knew right from wrong. The defense is looking at him like motherfuckers. <laughs> that is trusted so, you. It is so hard to get insanity for for really anything. You know, like if Richard Chase didn't get the insanity, didn't get an mm-hmm. insanity. They never want to give you that. No. But some of the people are insane. So what's the point of having the insanity plea, right? It, clearly it, some people are insane. Yeah. If you show an ounce of right and wrong, like you show an right. ounce of trying to hide what you did, then it's done. Mm-hmm. John Hinckley Jr. He got the insanity. Now he's out walking around. Yeah. Free and clear. Ed Gein got it. Yeah. yeah. But he never got out. He'd stayed in the hospital forever. That's good. Yeah. He needed to be there. He didn't need to come out. I forgot about that. We covered that so long ago. He's the only serial killer I can think of that got insanity. After this determination, Richard was seen twice a week by Dr. Marvin Zipperin, who was employed by the jail. Dr. Zipperin had some good analysis of Richard, specifically that Richard had a Madonna whore complex, first written about by Sigmund Freud. 
basically what it means is that Richard and men like him view women as saints. Like they're pure, but as soon as the woman did something that made Richard or other men feel betrayed, that woman is now a whore and dirty, no matter how little the supposed betrayal is. It's a incel disease. You can sum <laughs> right. that you can sum that up. Right. There you go. Incel <laughs> incel syndrome. I like that. Everybody okay. knows dirty AKA girls AKA are way more disease. fun, right? <laughs> Completely backwards. You know, you said that about Hinckley before. Wasn't he trying to live out taxi driver? Like that was his motivation. Wasn't it like he was trying to impress uh, Jody Foster? Jody Foster, yeah, yeah. It's a weird dude, man. He's the, he tried to assassinate President Reagan. Okay, yeah. He's only old. like a couple months into Reagan's term, like term, right? It was like early eighty one, March wasn't it? of eighty one. Yeah, yeah. He was fresh in. I remember watching it, the news the, after after uh, school that day. Yeah, yeah. And the movie Taxi Driver with De Niro, he De Niro tries to assassinate uh, a candidate for pr- the president. And Jodie Foster's in that movie. Okay. Hinkley thought, oh, well, if I assassinate Reagan, Jodie Foster will love me. Interesting story. It's an interesting line of thinking. Mm-hmm. The guy's all perhaps, perhaps insane. Yeah. <laughs> like he's on Twitter now. He's is tweeting he? and I, stuff. Can we get him on a show? You want to interview him? I don't, I don't know if I'd want to. I'd have kind to of think creepy, about that. right? That'd be a little yeah. weird. I don't know. He's free of all. I don't uh, know a lot about him. I'm have to. Look into it more. Yeah, like he's free and clear, no parole restrictions or anything. He's just out, out and about. Nuts. Well, that could be uh, ready Sirhan, to party on here too. Yeah. Maybe they'll start a group together, like a support group. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Zipperin ended up not testifying at trial because it was found out that he was writing a book about Richard, which resulted him being fired from the jail. Doctor Zipperin seemed pretty close to Richard. I think he uh, he liked the guy. Interesting affinity for the guy. It was an interesting relationship after watching his interview on that, that Annie biography. He also said Richard liked to paint too, like our other uh, Chicago friend, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Are his paintings like worth a lot of money now? Like Gacy's were? I, I don't that? know. I didn't really see anything about it. Like he was painting giraffes and I'm sure they the would giraffe, be worth money. A leper. I figure what he was painting exactly. A leper or a leopard? Leopard. Oh, okay. Big difference. <laughs> Leopard? I don't remember what he was painting, but uh (laughs) Now look here, you son of a bitch, Richard Speck. You're no artist like the Duke. Thanks, John. See ya. You know what else that that zipper said that uh one time uh Speck held a razor blade to his throat in prison while he was interviewing him. It's still like kind of wild. I wonder if Speck felt like less of a man because it wasn't 17 inches. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do with your half inch razor blade? (laughs) Dick Speck. (laughs) Interesting uh, shrink, though, that guy. Richard's trial started on April 3rd, 1967. In court, he was positively identified by Corazon Amaro. When Corazon was asked if she could identify the killer, she got up, walked directly in front of Richard, pointed her finger at him, nearly touching his face, and said, quote, this is the man. Huge fucking balls. Mm -hmm. Good Good for her. On April 15th, after 49 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Richard guilty and recommended the death penalty. On June 5th, Richard Speck was sentenced to die in the electric chair, but was granted an automatic appeal. 
This appeal was not successful, and the Illinois Supreme Court upheld his conviction and death sentence on November 22nd, 1968. Another appeal was filed on June 28th, 1971. The U.S. Supreme Court upheld Richard's conviction, but reversed the death sentence because more than 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from his jury because of their views or religious beliefs against the death penalty. I'm McDonald your excuse from this case. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Out of jury duty, baby. I <laughs> can go day drink. Whoop, whoop. Like, uh, like, like uh, Jim, Jim on the office when he fakes having jury duty for the whole week. And yeah. Andy has to cover for him. Remember that? It's that later season. And he's just at home all day for a week. Yeah. I'd, fuck yeah. No, I got called. I'm on the trial. I got to go sit in for three months. I'm going to you know, have to go be sequestered in a hotel. Don't bother trying to call me. You're not going to reach me. I'm just fucking at B-dubs every day. <laughs> Is that a typical question they ask potential jurors? Like, what are your thoughts on the death penalty? That seems like, like you shouldn't really be asking I'm not, that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't think that. I think that was part of the the issue here was that they were not supposed to be asking Hence that. The unconstitutionally <laughs> excluded. Doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. You're kind of stacking the deck there. A yeah, you bit. can't be like, oh yeah, we want to kill this guy. What do you believe? What do you, what do you think about that? Hey, 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 do you want to kill this guy? Yeah, he's all right. He's good. <laughs> Get him in. You want to kill this guy? I don't know. Out. Go. <laughs> Do you do you remember the curb your enthusiasm when Larry gets jury too and he goes, Judge, um, I don't think I can be impartial as jury. I don't like black people. <laughs> <laughs> Your excuse, Mr. David. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's certain things you can say to get on jury duty if you don't I think it's very easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you really didn't want I actually would love to do it. I think it'd be very interesting. Um I never get called. I got summoned for grand jury duty one time. My number was way too high, but that was for three months, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Sit on a grand wow. jury. Oh, that would have been sweet. Yeah. The lady I used to work with when I had my office job got, uh, she got jury duty for a murder trial. Like mm. some, some kid in Akron got killed. Yeah. And uh, she said it was really bad. Like it was not great being on a murder I'm sure it would be thing. really she said awful it was, for yeah. something like I'm sure that. It's just tough, the stuff you yeah. hear and see crime scene photos yeah. or videos. Yeah, she yeah. said that they like pass around like the bot, you know, when the guys laying there shot and shit, oh, and they had sure, to look at yeah. it. The only times I've been called, I either get let go like two days in, or just like they're like you got to call like the Sunday night before, and they're like, "Oh, you're excused for the week. Like you don't have to come in." Yeah. So that was it. I never have to do it because of bipolar stuff. It's like, do you have mental illness? Sure do. Mm. Not coming. <laughs> See you next time. Yeah. <laughs> so because his death sentence was overturned, his case was then sent back to the Illinois Supreme Court for resentencing. On June 29th, 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional. So the Illinois Supreme Court's only option was to order Richard to be resentenced to prison by the original Cook County Court. On November 21st, 1972, Richard was resentenced to eight consecutive sentences of 50 to 150 years. Goddamn Mike Namapod commie Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was actually vital in that decision. So. <laughs> I wrote a, a very well-researched paper and was sent it to right? the court for their consideration. <laughs> and then I was born 16 years later. <laughs> in prison, Richard was known as a loner who kept a stamp collection and liked listening to music. The warden said that Richard was, quote, a big nothing doing time. He got caught constantly with drugs that were smuggled in or making bootleg wine. And he got the nickname Birdman because he kept a sparrow that flew into his cell. In the book Mindhunter, John Douglas talks about an interview he did with Richard saying, quote, He found an injured sparrow that had flown in through one of the broken windows and nursed it back to health. When it was healthy enough to stand, he tied a string around its leg and had it perch on his shoulder. At one point, a guard told him pets weren't allowed. I can't have it, Speck challenged, then walked over to a spinning fan and threw the small bird in. Horrified, the guard said, I thought you liked that bird. I did, Speck replied, but if I can't have it, no one can. Whew. I think that's a little bit of that incel disease. That's something, but uh, yeah. If I can't have that whole attitude. Of, mm-hmm. It's very opposite of uh, Brooks. Yeah, Brooks would never do that. He let him go. Standard guy, Brooks. I read that as soon as Speck got to prison, there were these three prisoners who had already murdered guards in there and started fucking with them and just saying what they were going to do to him. And they had to put him in isolation after four days. So he made it four days before they had to put him by himself. I'm surprised they even let him in there by himself. Mm -hmm. But I guess eventually you have to go out. I don't know. Do you? I don't know. I mean, if you're not. What do you mean go out? With general population. Or do you never go? If you're on the death penalty. I mean, if you're on death row, you're on death row. But if you have just life in prison. Yeah. Gen pop. That's not for me. I'll stay in isolation. uh, With my bird. (laughs) My books. Jeffrey Dahmer went out into general population. See how that turned out. Work out great. That was was a surprise to me. (laughs) You had no idea. It did not play out well for him. He should have went the bird route. (laughs) I feel like if I was in prison, I would just read so many books. What else are you going to do? I'm clearly not the workout type. Push ups and books. Maybe push ups in my room, I guess. Yeah. And just give me some books, please. I'll have the entire Goosebumps series. Thank you. <laughs> Goosebumps. Thank you, correctional officer. Buy ramen noodles at the commissary. Yeah. I remember watching those lockup shows where those guys would make all like those fancy meals with anything they can get from commissary. Remember that? Yeah. Scene of that? Mm-hmm. And like, it actually looked pretty damn good. Some of it. I mean, relatively speaking, given the circumstances you're in. Like, that's some real gourmet shit. He's like, I'm going to take this ramen. I'm going to take this toilet bowl water. I'm going to make chicken Alfredo. <laughs> then I'm going to ferment the leftovers and make uh, chicken Alfredo wine. Yeah. Chicken hooch. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn, I'd eat that. <laughs> Richard hated reporters and only did one press interview in 1978 to Chicago columnist Bob Green. During that interview, he publicly confessed to the murders for the first time and said he thought he would get out of prison, quote, between now and the year 2000. And when he got out, he hoped to run uh, his own grocery store. When Green asked him if he compared himself to celebrity killers like John Dillinger, 
Richard replied, quote, me, I'm not like Dillinger or anybody else. I'm freakish. Do you know he was eligible for parole after 10 years? Like multiple times. Yeah. Like the families had to worry about him. Like he had parole hearings after 10 years. Yeah. How is it even fucking possible? Yeah. 10 I'll, years? I'd like to go on record and say that I'm not okay with. Duly noted. <laughs> I think we're in agreement, pal. Well, I'm not saying. I don't want to kill the guy, but I also don't want the guy on parole every six months. Or eligible for parole. Ten years. He had a ton of parole hearings. Yeah. He thought he was going to get out by year 2000. He's going to open his own Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Are those grocery stores? Yeah, right? I don't Piggly know. Wiggly. I don't know. I think for some so. reason I had in my head there were gas stations, but I, I really don't know. I think they're grocery stores. You're probably right. Richard said at the time of the killings, he had, quote, no feelings, but things had changed. He said, quote, I had no feelings at all that night. They said there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. It felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell for those girls and their families and for me. If I had to do it all over again, it would be a simple house burglary. Richard said that his, quote, final thought for the American people was just tell them to keep their hatred for me. I know it keeps up their morale, and I don't know what I would do without it. Okay, Pally. Yeah. Get fucked, pal. Yeah. No one's thinking about you. Late in the evening on December 4th, 1991, Richard was taken from prison to the hospital after complaining about chest pains. He later died in the early morning hours of December 5th from what is believed to be a heart attack. The coroner said that Richard had an enlarged heart and clogged arteries, which most likely contributed to his heart attack. He was cremated and his ashes were scattered in a secret location by his sister, Carolyn. She didn't want anything turning into a touristy thing where people come to him. Hopefully it was in a toilet bowl somewhere. Well, I'm assuming his sister did not do that. I mean, the pig shack. In May 1996, Chicago television news anchor Bill Curtis received videotapes made at Stateville Correctional Center in 1988 from an anonymous attorney. The videotapes showed sex, drug use, and money being passed around by prisoners who had no fear of being caught. In the center was Richard performing oral sex on another inmate, doing a bunch of cocaine with another inmate walking around in silk panties and had female like breasts grown from smuggling hormone treatments and bragging quote, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they would turn me loose from behind the camera. A prisoner asked Richard if he killed the nurses to which Richard responded, quote, sure I did. When asked why Richard shrugged and jokingly said, quote, it just wasn't their night. When he was asked about how he felt about himself in the year since, he said, quote, like I always felt, had no feeling. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, no. He also described in detail the experience of strangling someone. He said, quote, it's not like TV. It takes over three minutes and you have to have a lot of strength. What an absolute piece of shit. This is a, a wild turn of events. Yeah, so these videotapes. <laughs> They are uh, something to behold. What the fuck's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. What the hell's happening? It's just like, you you know, the last image you saw of the guy was from, uh, you know, 20, was it almost 25 years ago at the, at the trial? And, uh, and then he's sitting there topless with boobs, 
doing blow off some guy's lap. It's just very striking. It's just and like the guy asked him what color is the panties. Yeah, you wearing those blue panties today? Can we see him? And he takes his pants off and he's got these silky underpants on. It's just it's just bizarre. And he has like the like this kind of uh I don't even know what you would call it. It's not a Karen haircut. Well, it kind of is, but like um, he looks like uh Randy Quaid from uh What's the bowling movie with Woody Harrelson? Kingpin. Kingpin. <laughs> yeah. That's a fucked That's up what it looks up. like to me. Couple things about like what's going on there. Wouldn't the guards know he was smuggling in some, something that was changing his appearance? Wouldn't they be like, hey, what the fuck's going on? I don't know. Like, Do a lot of guys just get fat in prison eating garbage food and not getting any exercise that it's not... I didn't think fat. I, like, like as man- soon as you saw him, you're like, yeah, oh, something changed. Yeah, their breasts, they're yeah. not just like man boobs. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do we ever figure out who took the video? No, That's they said it an anonymous know. attorney. Yeah. I have so many damn questions about this. People, I was reading news articles and stuff. People were fucking furious. Oh yeah, the guy's partying in there. Yeah, they had uh, like a town hall meeting that was just fucking packed with people. I'm sure pissed off what he's if they only knew how much fun i was having they'd turn me loose yeah he's just bragging about having the time of his life in there he and this photo looks like he's having the time of his life in there yeah there's a huge fucking line of coke on that dude's leg that he blows off i mean they interviewed i believe that shrink again the doctors of porn and he feels like richard subjected himself to this as kind of a punishment like humiliating himself to be kind of like passed around as the prison bitch yeah to give himself i don't know i don't buy that one punishment for what he had done yeah i'm not sure i buy it either all right doc there was another person's opinion on that that said that uh that's how he chose to survive it makes oh, sense getting his ass whooped and just beat up like just yeah. become because a lot of times a guy like that they would have just you know he wouldn't have made it very long mm-hmm. but now he, he has survived yeah that's some worth maybe to you know a reason for them to not kill going him. so far as doing hormones and stuff and getting boobs like out of it the guy is like as opposed to just giving in and being like okay yeah. do whatever you want to me the guy's fucking butt ugly though oh yeah he really is an ugly individual and it just he's just it's bizarre i don't know he's got that whole just that greaser look like from a like fifth the movie from like the fifties sixties yeah right like the bad guy yeah like the scummy bad guy in right. a greaser it's movie exactly right that's it to a T and with like the born to raise hell tattoo and everything like the guy uh in the Outsiders that came to fight Matt Dillon yeah yeah, yeah. exactly you know where Daly is I know he slashed my tires <laughs> what's that guy what's that guy's name? <laughs> Tim uh, Tim something I can't remember his name I know he slashed my tires. <laughs> Such a good movie. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts, Ian? Uh, I mean, he's interesting. It's not what I, I didn't really know much about him, honestly, yeah. going into it. You always hear his name associated mm-hmm. with things. I don't know why. You, there's nothing that pointed would have pointed towards him being capable of doing something like this. No, he just seemed like a drunk, petty thief, and it just escalated really quickly yeah like like we said before there's tons of people that have shitty childhoods and even more that have Mm. had 
a step parent come in that's not a great person mm-hmm. don't end up murdering people yeah it's a it's a hard one to peg i'll give my opinion Good. that this was a, a a valid death penalty case and uh someone the planet could do without just yeah. my opinion well except for that whole swaying the jury pool to make sure it was people who i'm speaking hypothetically in a perfect world i I get that the justice system doesn't really always work as it should in this country well that's not always that's like that's a kind what a kind statement that was in a perfect world all things being equal this is something the world could do without and i'm not sad that he's not here anymore a lot of uh strength and bravery from Corazon being able to good for her to just stay in that spot for hours and hours it's unimaginable i i don't think i could do that because you think in your head the second i make a a sound he's gonna hear right just be shaking uncontrollably yeah i don't know there's another story i read in vice i forgot to mention that one of their i'm gonna mess this up but one of their nurse friends someone came to the front door rang the bell and I guess by the time Speck got down there and answered the door, she was already in the back, ringing the back doorbell. And then he went there, but there was a delay, and he went back upstairs and just hoped that she would go away, which she did. So she uh, saved her own life. She got pretty fucking lucky there. Just one of those uh, escapees who came pretty yeah. pretty close to the fire. Wild. How just so close. Yeah. Just a little delay. I don't know. I think the most shocking thing about this is he was eligible for parole in 10 years. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. It just seemed like a huge waste of everyone's time because after a while, it was like, from what I was reading, it was just like a formality at that point. Like, yeah, he's coming up. Uh, yeah, like Manson. Like, no one, you're not getting out. We're going <laughs> to yeah. have this hearing and it's going to be on the news again every five years or whatever it is. Right. But we're never letting you out, asshole. Yeah. And it, we're only just, it keeps these people famous, which is just absurd too. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i don't agree with that at all but if that's your you know your family like you want to think about that every year or whatever the interval interval was i have to worry about that you don't ever want to think about that again you want to know i I would imagine i mean i don't we don't know what it's like to be in that situation but you would would want to imagine that you never have to worry about this person again yeah no matter what the sentence is right Uh, it's december 15th again we that fucking asshole richard specks getting a parole hearing so we got to worry about this again that's awful. Yeah, it's not very fair to the family. No. I think the, one of the, the most shocking things about him to me is like the the impulse control. Like It's so impulsive to break in there with a robbery in your mind and then kill everyone yeah. in the house. And the way he did it. Right. It's not like he just killed everyone. He took his time with each of them. It's just a crazy mm. just escalation out of nowhere. So you're not buying that uh, his story that he was drunk and high and doesn't remember any of it? No. no. Did he say hi, too? Yeah, he had some drug things. and He said he was drinking all day at the bar, and someone injected him oh, with speed. Or He probably did a weed. <laughs> he probably did a weed, because that's, and, you know. And that's the last thing he remembers. Someone injected speed, speed known to make you black out? I don't <laughs> no, think that's how it works. No, it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really work that way, no. Look, I had my fair share of alcohols. I feel like even in my darkest depths of drunkenness, if I'm killing eight people, I'm going to remember that the next day. Yeah. Or yeah. or partially through those brutal murders, murders I, I'm sobering up. And being like, 
what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Also, I would never do that. So allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> well, I wouldn't admit it on here. <laughs> I'm not a terrible criminal like this guy was. No, you're not. You're an upstanding citizen, Mike. Yeah. Only thing you slay is the or, punani, or, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm a really good criminal. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. It's true. Fucking George Clooney and Ocean's Eleven over here. <laughs> Although he was the one that got, he was in prison for something, wasn't he? <laughs> he Brad was, Pitt yeah. had to go pick him up. All right, I'm Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, I give a uh, thumbs down to Richard Speck. Not a fan. <laughs> not a fan of this guy at all. Yeah, I, uh, I concur. Thumbs okay. down. Yeah. Ian, we going three for three. Yeah, two thumbs down. Two thumbs. That's four. Four thumbs down. <laughs> Necronomapod is no fan of you, Richard Speck. Oh. We will not. We would never have you on the show. Just want you to know, if we had that option, we would say no, thank you. We decline your offer, Richard Speck. Yeah. Hopefully, some prison reform came out of that that video. That, uh, shit, that shit was one wild. would hope. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it probably did. People were they, it for real. It was like a party in there. Party going. I'd on imagine it, yeah. some jobs probably were lost. Some reform. Yeah. And let's make sure that's not happening anymore. Because this is more of a frat house than it is a prison. You know what isn't a prison, Dave? Tell me. Becoming a patron of Necronomapod. It's the greatest <laughs> thing one could do for themselves. <laughs> we have some shout outs for some new patrons. Thank you very much to Adam, Sharon Reef Snyder, Matthew Williams, Matt P VR6, Nick Knoll, Matthew Clee, Noah Sanders, Levi Younger, Plumpy Daytona. Chantry Jelinek, Christian Hewitt, Randy Castillo, May Salazar, Jessica Hunter, Heavy Tevy, Samantha Greenwood, Greg, Robin Cameron, Riley Slusher, Diana, Jack P, Rosalind Ryan, Anita Hardcock. <laughs> what a lovely name. Tracy Hawkins, Angel Castrellan, uh, Marcos. Jay McIlroy, Kelsey Cajera, Ethan Caspel, Unicorn Sparkle Barf, Amber N. Lopresti, Dan Dada, Joanna, Jessica Curry, Catherine L., Mackie Phillips, Nathan Ring, Anonymous123, Rachel and Ashton, Devin Coolis, In the AM, Jen Gage, Candy Long, Matt, and Mike eats Ian's jelly beans. Well, <laughs> Ian's never offered me any jelly beans. I would love to have some jelly beans, but the Starburst kind, if I could put it in an order. Not the black licorice mm-hmm. kind? No, I don't prefer them. I don't hate them, but I don't prefer jelly beans. But if you're if I'm going to eat them, the Starburst ones are bomb.com. Yeah, you won't catch me with jelly beans. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't love them. Apparently, people want it to happen. So if you can just bring me some jelly beans, all that'd right. be great. Maybe at Easter. Save it for them when they're all fresh <laughs> in the stores. Anyways, thank you all very much to those new patrons. Uh, we are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you are interested. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Miss Scarlet Witch, Maria Mom of Three, and Darn Dude. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, you got anything else? No, not really. That's it. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm just sitting here. Yeah. Listen to you guys. I got nothing. Wearing a Cleveland Brown shirt. Oof, That's going to be tough this week for us fucking browns mm. son of a bitch hey at least we didn't tie to the worst team in the league <laughs> no we didn't yeah, that was something 
<laughs> someone, someone put online a gif of two flaming trash bins rolling down the street. It's like a live look at the Lions Steelers game. <laughs> it's like it's incredible. It was something. I will mention I was We were it. trash also. <laughs> it was just a trash NFL weekend all around. I will say I was in Cocoa Beach this past weekend and I saw the SpaceX launch out of my balcony. See, from, you got something uh, to add at the end of the show. From Cape Canaveral. Super yep. cool. Ten out of ten would recommend. Absolutely would recommend. All right. Sounds yeah, that is cool. pretty neat. Yeah, it was neat. That was perfect timing because you had you didn't know. And then you you you'd get there and you're like, oh, by the way. Yeah, it got I delayed. Think I could see something. Yeah, it got delayed Friday. It got scrubbed because of weather, and then Saturday morning. Yeah, it was really cool. Luckily, you had been up for four hours by then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> five a.m. I, I think it was at seven thirty. Launch. Dave's dangerously close to being that four o'clock p.m. dinner time guy, <laughs> so that he can be nestled and snuggled in bed by seven o'clock. I'm on a really weird sleep schedule these days. Yeah. He's up at like three a.m. I can't believe I'm actually awake at right now. And then it sucks for me because, you know, we know Ian doesn't sleep, period. So then I wake up in the morning at like eight, nine o'clock and I have like 104 missed texts <laughs> from these guys between the hours of 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. And then he has them at nighttime when me and you were texting. Um, there's times where I just switch and just text you direct, especially if it's like stupid wrestling stuff. I'm like, Dave, yeah. doesn't give a shit about this. I'll just text you directly because I'm like, oh, he's he's been asleep for eight hours. <laughs> I went to bed <laughs> and it's midnight. So you do the math. I went to bed at 8.30 last night. I woke up at 4.44. I was wondering why the text thread has been a little quiet from you. I've got to get off of this schedule. It's killing me. I can't take it. I think it was last night when we were we, eating a TV dinner at 4 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> yelling at the news on his TV. It gets dark at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm all messed up on this schedule. It's horrible. Last night when we were texting about wrestling at like 10.30, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, Dave hasn't said anything in this thread for a long time. Maybe we should just go over to our own. But then well, I, it's either that or it's, we're talking wrestling and Dave's like, I have nothing to add to this conversation. I just ignored yeah. anyway. I don't yeah, care. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so see, you had some good stuff to add. Yeah. Fun weekend down in Cocoa Beach. Yeah, I got to see uh, the uh, SpaceX shuttle take off. I have to do that again. That was super cool. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod to find all of our latest merch. We still have stickers available on the website, correct, Dave? Uh, yeah, still a Halloween sale going on. Huh? You know. So a three-pack of Necronomapod stickers available for $6.66. And that's at Necronomapod.com. That is sure the is. only merch that we sell uh, directly on our website. When they're gone, they're gone. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> uh, and then, like we said earlier, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Thank you to all of our pa- patrons and uh, even the patrons who uh, there's a few that give us more than even the tiers ask for. So thank you to them as well. Saint patrons, we call them around so here. Is the, yeah. the patron saints That's of exactly Necronomapod. <laughs> all right. We appreciate it. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.